Welcome back to Soundboard, your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. I'm your host, Mary Garner-McGee. Soundboard airs every Saturday at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM. Soundboard also comes to you as a podcast that belongs to the Tej FM network. Tune in, subscribe, and find out what's happening in your community and around the state. And if you're a fan of Soundboard, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about the show. This week, we talk elections from the school board to the state senate. And stay tuned, because in the second half of the show, we meet the artists behind Locatora Radio and talk about how they made a femme-centered, survivor-centered podcast by and for women of color. But first, let's talk about local elections with Charlottesville tomorrow. Were y'all freaking out when the elections website was down? Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was extremely frustrating. I was following it at home, and then I hit refresh, and then everything just God. broke. And then yeah. I saw just the stream of everyone saying what happened. And, but then over the past 13 years or so of being a journalist, like every single election day, it seems like the State Board of Elections site goes down. It's like, well, you have an entire year to prepare for this. And <laughs> yeah, for local elections, it took a while for it to come back on, but at least for the State House, New York Times had a pretty up-to-date. Today, we're joined by Charlottesville Tomorrow reporter Charlotte Renee Woods and editor Elliot Robinson. We're going to discuss this week's election results. What's the headline of Tuesday's elections? So, hyper-locally, the city, in the city council race, the Democratic ticket held its ground against independent challengers. One of those was Bellamy Brown, who came pretty close, but ultimately... Uh, Lloyd Snook, Cena McGill, and Michael Payne had it. And if you want to zoom out to the statewide election, we had nearly 40% of voters cast elections. And the last time that we had a off-off election where it's just a local and statewide races for the General Assembly, that was in 2015, only 29% of people voted. So it's huge that that many people came out in a year that traditionally doesn't have that many people out voting. What are people attributing that to? Based on some sort various sources I spoke with leading up to the election and even after, um, I know Cena even had something on Twitter today about how, I mean, she polled the highest, um, and I believe it like even surpassed when Mayor Walker polled the highest in 2017. And Cena was talking about how I think it's part of this like continued push for the blue wave and excitement building for 2020, and that was something that I've heard from a lot of people was, you know, yes, it's an off-off year. But all 140 seats in the General Assembly were up. In 2017, Democrats were literally a seat away from flipping the House. And now that the Democrats have flipped the House and the Senate, and then there's a huge 2020 presidential election year coming next year with a billion Democrats running. So there's a lot of excitement building. And I think people really remembered and realized the impact they can have at the local and state level. Were there any big surprises? Yeah. So Elizabeth Alcorn in the 58th District, her loss was pretty close. So she pulled in at 37% to Rob Bell's 62. So that's kind of almost like a 60-40. And then also Amy Laufer, that district is very sprawling. It goes all the way to Spotsylvania and Fredericksburg. It really wasn't in her favor. It was very much like a Republican leaning district. And she ended up losing with 48 to 51. It was really close. I knew it was going to be close. I knew that whoever won, it was going to be tight. So that was really also still a little surprising how close it was. Oh, and then um, Whitehall and Scottsville districts in the Board of Supervisors races were pretty tight. Donna Paula Price won in Scottsville. And even though much of Scottsville is very red, it's very Republican, the higher density, higher populated areas 
are Democratic, and that probably contributed to her win. But she did tell me on election night she plans to spend a lot of time between now and January just getting to know the people who didn't vote for her and ask, you know, how can I represent you? What sorts of policies can residents expect to see passed by the city council? The Democratic ticket is going to continue to tackle its campaign pillars, which are enhancing affordable housing, enhancing public transportation regionally, and measures to increase climate resiliency, along with continuing efforts on things that this current council is already working on, like establishing a CRB and working on the uh, comprehensive plan. Comprehensive plan. Just a reminder that the CRB refers to the Civilian Review Board, and they provide oversight to the police department in Charlottesville. What sorts of policies can residents expect to see passed by the new County Board of Supervisors? Well, the Board of Supervisors also has some unfinished business left on this plate that the new supervisors will have to look at. Where They're also having a focus on affordable housing, which for a while didn't seem like that huge of a priority in Albemarle County, but there are projects going on like the redevelopment of Southwood, and there will be continued work on the master plan for Crozet. And there's talk between the city and the county about a regional transportation plan that there's some things in place, but we just have to push that conversation along to fix some of the issues that we have with Jaunt and CAT and other services that are trying to connect the two localities and push us away from being so reliant on cars to get anywhere. And the county is also, they've said the priority is working on their climate action plan and balancing issues that will affect the rural areas of the county and the urban areas on climate change. What impact do people expect statewide elections to have here in Charlottesville and Albemarle County? So this one is something that came up during pretty much every conversation I had with every candidate, and that is the Dillon Rule, on either eliminating it or loosening some of its restraints. This is one that Charlottesville feels monumentally because of the Confederate monuments. Um, So there's also... You know, addressing minimum wage changes locally, something Sally Hudson was saying was that, you know, minimum wage looks different in different areas of Virginia and being able to take that into account. And again, that stems back to uh, Dylan Roll. Rural broadband expansion is a huge one that's got bipartisan support. Lots of newly elected and incumbents are definitely considering that. And also renewable energy policies. Clean Virginia PAC has been giving a lot of money to candidates who want to support renewable energy and just being better to the environment. We are now a Dylan Rule podcast. <laughs> we talk about it almost every week. Super important issue. It really comes into everything. Everything, yeah. Of all the legislative bodies that local residents voted on, so talking about the General Assembly, the Charlottesville City Council, Albemarle Board of Supervisors, the school boards, which ones are likely to make the most significant policy shifts as compared to the board members that are currently serving on those boards? I think the General Assembly will have a a lot of changes going in, but I don't think it's going to be as drastic as a lot of people are assuming it will be because there's still the, quote, Virginia way of doing things, which our legislators in Richmond usually take a slower, deliberate approach and try to strive for some bipartisanship. So, again, I I think that there there will be some changes in the State House, but there still will be kind of a, a slower pace to try to keep that era of camaraderie in the chambers. And then locally, I know with the comprehensive plan, there's zoning is going to be looked at pretty heavily um, within the city, which we know that helps or contributes to affordable housing. 
We haven't talked yet about the school boards. What were the results of those elections in the county and in the city? So in the city, LaShundra, Bryson Morsberger, Jennifer McKeever, Sherry Kraft, and James Bryant were the ones that came out on top. And I know that three of those are incumbents, so they want to continue the work that they've started on addressing equity, changes to Quest, uh, reconfiguration of middle schools. And then LaShundra is going to be coming in with that fresh new voice, new perspective of, you know, mom in the crowd at the school boards to now she's sitting on the board. Although the school board elections are nonpartisan, it really seems like there will be a slight shift to the left on the Arbor Model School Board. I had seen some flyers on doors that had the Democratic lineup, but Judy's face was on there. So even though school boards run nonpartisan, ultimately people have their own partisan leanings. So yeah, the school board, it's got some Dems. What does this year's elections mean for future campaigns and politics in Charlottesville? 2017 saw the blue wave as as it's been dubbed and people were chanting it the other night. I guess it's continued for certain being able to flip the house and the Senate. Charlottesville has been seen as a blue hub in the state and it's been spreading and growing as more people move here or spread out further in the county around the city. Virginia is kind of like a microcosm for the rest of America. It's been positioning itself as like a democratic leaning example of leadership. With that said, I will note that the Republican turnout in the county does signal that there are some people who feel like their concerns aren't being heard. Sally Hudson and uh, Tim Hickey from the 59th District, they were both talking about they want to work on campaign finance reform. They want to work on where, you know, corporations can't give as much money or any money to, to um, legislators. And then Sally also wants to introduce ranked choice voting. It's something that came up a few times in her campaign. She feels it would be particularly helpful to like Charlottesville for local elections as well. So we'll end this segment like we do every week by asking the folks at Charlottesville tomorrow, what's on your calendar this week? I'm excited to, to have some R&R for a second. You but deserve it. You both thank deserve you. it. That said, I'm excited to start focusing more on some climate stories and also gear up for January. Like Politically, that's going to be a very exciting month with new seats and new policies coming. Like I'm, pum- I'm so pumped. Yeah, I'm also looking forward to taking a break. The uh, election has been pretty intense in our newsroom. Our voter guide, the views went went through the roof. Charlotte spent a lot of time and effort on it almost since her very first day. So it's time to relax for a little bit, but then we're getting right back to it. Yeah, and Elliot's had to edit a million. I think I've turned in like so many articles in the last six months between the voter guide and other coverage. And then he said to edit all that. There was one day I dumped six voter guide profiles on him. Coffee has been my friend. (laughs) Well, thank you all so much for making time for us through this really busy election season. We appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Charlotte Renee Woods is a reporter for Charlottesville Tomorrow. Elliot Robinson is the editor. You're listening to Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Tej FM Network. WTJU and Tej FM are both a service of the University of Virginia. However, opinions expressed on this show are not positions of the University of Virginia. Now that we've covered all the local races, we're going to turn it over to Nathan Moore and Peter Golaska to talk more about the State General Assembly. Well, each week here on Soundboard, we talk about state news and politics, and this is certainly a big week for that with state elections on Tuesday this week. We check in with our friend and journalist Peter Golaska. He lives over in the Richmond area, writes for the blog Bacon's Rebellion. Peter, good morning. Good morning. So we've got a a big uh, election news week going on. Take me through the the real basics of what happened on Tuesday. Well, you betcha. I mean, this has been a long time coming, but it's finally, you know, gone over the edge. And, you know, basically Virginia has been tending to be more 
moderate to the left, perhaps, for years. I mean, the last Republican governor was Bob McDonnell, and now we've had a succession of Democratic ones. And then we had, you know, all three elected officers were um, Democrats. And then on Tuesday, the Democrats took over the House of Delegates and the state Senate. So they hold a majority. This is the first time this has happened in like 26 years. So it's basically a generation. It shows all kinds of things that have been happening for a while, such as the the growth of um, an educated voter from mostly from the suburbs. It's a decline of the rural areas, and it sure it's a it's a big change for um, you know the Republicans who unfortunately were I think hurt very much by Donald Trump and his unpopularity in Virginia. So there's lots going to happen. Yeah, I think uh, Trump has been, as you and I have talked all season, Trump has been sort of like this invisible top of the ticket, but more in the anti-Trump camp. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, a lot of uh, state Republicans are trying to not mention him. And another thing that really, you know, we discussed this as well, there are at least five or six races in the state that had been gerrymandered previously by Republicans to either pack in African-American voters in, in some way, and this has gone to the courts and courts have redistricted, which just goes to show that hopefully the Democrats don't do this in 2021 the way the Republicans have. They've done it before. But, I mean, it just shows how, you know, if you do have a fair kind of district, then people will vote accordingly. And I think that's one reason why this happened as well. And we can go through some of the changes that you're likely to see legislatively. Let's do that. Yeah, let's move into the next, uh, what what comes next here. So we've got now for the first time a Democratic majority in the House, a Democratic majority in the state Senate, and of course a Democratic governor. First time in in decades that Virginia has had all three of those Mm -hmm. held by the same party. What are the first things likely going to be? Okay. Well, I think one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to see some kind of gun control. Polls show that voters want it. And before any kind of serious gun control measure had been killed by Republicans in committee, well, that's not going to happen anymore. And in fact, Ralph North and the governor wanted to have a special session of the General Assembly after a dozen people were killed in a mass slaying in, in Virginia Beach in May. That was throttled by Republicans. Well, that's not going to be throttled anymore. And who knows what you'll see. You could see, you know, red flag laws, uh, you know, signal police if someone's unsettled, has a gun. You might have, you know, magazine restrictions. Any kind of thing might happen. We'll see. But that's it. Another thing you're going to see is, which is going to be pretty interesting, is there's going to be more power to women's rights. One of the most important things that it could mean is the state could finally ratify the Equal Rights Amendment, which has been loitering since the 70s. And if Virginia does ratify it, then that's what it needs. That's the last state needed for it to become national law. That's one thing that could happen as well. One thing that's happening about Confederate memorials, which is one thing that Northam has brought up, mm-hmm. right now the state has been stuck with a you know, almost century old or century plus old law that says that you need state permission for a locality to move a Confederate memorial. There's been a lot of court sparring over this. It's very relevant to Charlottesville. And things could change. I mean, even the General Assembly could rewrite the laws. And that's one thing you're going to see. As far as environment, Dominion Energy will probably lose power, pun intended. Uh Uh-huh. They won't get as much their way as they have in the past. What this means for the pipelines, I don't know. Probably nothing, because that, that's, that's a court matter. 
But you could see things like, you know, the United Virginia joining regional cap and trade issue. So those are just a few things that you could see. And as you can tell, they're all pretty, pretty big switch. There's a couple of economic issues, bread and butter, household budget kinds of things that also seem like they could come up, if not are likely to come up. Uh, for example, minimum wage increase is another one that, that some lawmakers have talked about. Do you think we'll see a minimum wage increase in Virginia? I think you'll see some creeping forward from the $7.25 per hour, you know, federal mandated one, which is where Virginia is. But, you know, you, you, it's going to go slowly. There's still a lot of opposition to it. It probably should happen. I mean, come on, this is the 21st century. But, um, you know, that's, that's one thing. The other thing is the right to work, which the business community has been really beating the drums against in the run-up to the election. And everybody from the kind of the state chamber of commerce to former Governor McDonnell have all been writing away on op-eds about how this will, like, ruin it for Virginia's great reputation as a pro-business state. Right to work, just to clarify, is a, a set of laws that a lot of states, especially southern states, have, have enacted that makes it so people right. don't have to join the union in order to benefit right. from union negotiations. Exactly. I mean, this has been – I mean, other states have it too, but, uh, but I mean, this, this law dates back to the days when basically southern textile companies were, were taking work and workers away from New England. And they they said, well, we don't have any labor laws. So, I mean, you can see kind of how antiquated that thinking is, especially today when you have a knowledge economy, basically. In any event, especially in, in, in urban areas, people need to make more money so they can pay the rent or their mortgages. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah. But there is strong, strong business community opposition to that. Mm-hmm. Well, this kind of gets to a question that has been has been niggling my mind a little bit is uh, now that the Democrats have both houses and the governorship, are we going to start seeing more cracks and schisms uh, in their agenda? I mean, there's the the sort of more moderate, more pro-business kind of Democrats right. and, and you know the ones that are maybe friendlier with Dominion. And then there's the ones that are like, you know, Lee Carter or, or uh, Hashmi or others that are that are very boldly progressive and have sort of a different set of priorities. <laughs> well, that's good. That's a good issue. I mean, because this is exactly what helped do the Republicans in. They were constantly fighting within themselves about whether to have primaries or conventions, whether to be socially conservative or traditionally fiscally conservative or whatever. And I think what you're going to see is that the... Um, you could argue Virginia is a bellwether for 2020 national elections. The run-up to the 2020 elections will actually kind of define things better in Virginia. For example, you've got Elizabeth Warren coming up with Medicare for All and a very complicated way to pay for it. Bernie Sanders says he likes the same idea. And then you've got others who are a little bit more moderate. And I think how they define some of these issues will obviously influence how Democrats in the state will go, go after them. But yeah, you're right. We haven't seen all the fishers yet, and I'm not sure exactly where they're all going to be, because I mean, you know, uh, the euphoria is still around, <laughs> and it's going to go away sooner or later. Yeah, I'm sort of wet blanketing already here, uh, just a few days. After yeah, I know you're you're such a downer. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter, thanks so much for taking the time today. Okay, you take care. Peter Galaska is a journalist based in the Richmond area. He writes for the blog Bacon's Rebellion. You're listening to Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Teej FM Network. 
WTJU is supported by the Southern Environmental Law Center, celebrating 30 years of protecting the South's environment and the people who depend on it for health and well-being. Power of the Law, Southern Environmental Law Center. Well, we have a special segment this week. Christian DeJuntos and the Bridge PAI brought two phenomenal podcasters all the way from L.A. to Charlottesville for an artist-in-residency this month. Malamunos and Diosafem make a podcast called Locatora Radio. While they were here, Caroline Hockenbury and I were lucky enough to get to sit down in the studio with them and learn about what motivates these two artists and activists. I am here with Mala Munoz and Diosafem of Locatora Radio and Karina Monroy of Creciendo Juntos. And today we are talking about Locatora Radio. Locatora Radio is a radiophonic novella archiving the legacies and brilliance of women and femmes of color. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. And we are Las Mamis of Myth and Bullshit. Las Locatoras of Locatora Radio. A radiophonic novella. Which is just a really extra way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Hey, so this is Diosa. And this is Mala. And we met in, an, in April of 2016 after following each other for many years via social media, on Twitter and Instagram. And I remember reaching out to Mala in July of that same year. That's when I brought the podcast idea to her. Yeah, we um, went to like a Latina meetup that was advertised on Facebook and these different Latinx collectives put this meetup together in downtown L.A. And we met a bunch of different like Latinas online at that meetup and we became friends. We started to go out. We went out a lot. We were like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, mm-hmm. Saturday, Sunday, sometimes Tuesday if it's Taco Tuesday, you know. Mm-hmm. Our friendship started there in um, going out and having fun. And when Diosa hit me up about starting a podcast, I said, yeah, let's do it. And we've been podcasting since 2016. How would you describe the Locatora community at large? So we call our listeners Locamores. So and they self-identify as Locamores. It's such a beautiful thing when they approach us and they say, I'm a Locamor, right? Mm -hmm. And there's just this knowing and this understanding that our listeners are women of color. We have some white allies that we love, but yes. for the most part, our listeners are Latinas, are women of color, are black women. And there's just this understanding that we have this very radical way of thinking, right? And that we're survivor-centered and there's just a knowing about that. So I would definitely say our listeners love to party. Mm-hmm. They love to dance. They find community in that I think, too, like our listeners are super multifaceted. We have so much fun coming out to like colleges and different communities. We were just in Texas, in Seguin at Texas Lutheran. Our listeners are so fun and like brilliant and they want to like hang out with us. And a lot of them are really into their look or they have really interesting passions. Um, Many of them are young. I think our target um, demographic is like between what, like 15 and 40? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some of them are mothers, some of them are students, some of them are professionals, some of them Mm -hmm. are organizers. And it's just really cool to see just like our capacity Mm -hmm. as Latinas. We literally do everything. And Mm -hmm. um, that's not always what we're told and what we see. So, yeah, they I learn a lot from them. Mm -hmm. What's a really interesting or unique interaction you've had with a listener? We've had listeners like bring us really cool gifts, mm-hmm. like from all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, like at our, our last look, I thought alive, this listener um, who's a man came to our party and he brought us presents and he brought me like 
this leather handmade like canteen from the Yaki people because I share on the podcast that my family were of Yaki and Tarumara descent. And so he like heard that and picked it up and like brought me something like really meaningful and special that I hang in my house now. Yeah, lots of we have a listener also in Texas. We didn't get a chance to meet, but she is a young mother um, and has a 17 year old daughter. Mm. And she listens to the podcast with her daughter. And I thought that that was really cool because we talk a lot about sexual health and consent and wellness. So the fact that they were listening together and both learning together meant a lot to us. We had another listener write to us and she works with incarcerated young men who are in juvenile detention. And she said she was playing our podcast for the young men that she teaches um, because, you know, whatever happened in their lives, we know there's a school to prison pipeline and a lot of our young people end up incarcerated and in prison for things that maybe only warranted a detention or a suspension, you know. Um, But whatever it was that got them into that place, you know, she felt that it was important for them as young men to hear women talking about autonomy and our rights as women and our power as women. So that was really amazing for us to hear also. As a duo, Mm -hmm. what are the two things that you admire the most about one another? Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) I'm not ready. (laughs) (laughs) Where to begin? Well, okay, so Diosa A is brilliant and is a little bit more um, like subtle, I think, than I am in many ways. And there's a lot of power and beauty in that subtlety, which I've learned a lot from Diosa about that because I'm a little bit more like loud and these things. And um, her organization is really admirable to me because I have very little of that. And I appreciate that in her. Um, She also is really like empathetic and is a very good listener. And I think that you think often about the what ifs. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a great idea, but let's consider this. Mm. But what about this? But what could be a potential pitfall? Where I'm like, oh my God, let's do it. You know what I mean? (laughs) But it's good to have balance Mm. in that way. Things like that. So I admire all that in Diosa and more. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Mala is definitely the, I feel like my balance, right? When we met, I think I was still trying to find my way. And in many ways, Mala was as well. But Mm -hmm. I think she really brought something out of me and brought, almost made me level up in a way, you know? Um, I think in the beginning, it's, it's almost easy to to see us as like opposites, but I don't think that we are. I think that we're actually more similar than people realize. Um, and one of the things that I admire about Mala is just how loud that she, how loud she is. And I don't mean that in like she's verbally loud, which she is. You know, she, her mic levels <laughs> have to be lower than mine, <laughs> right? But just in like her convictions, in what she brings to the table, I think she's very confident in her knowledge and who she is. And she is very articulate. And that is one of the many things I I admire about her. Um, And I think the way that she delivers all of her knowledge is super amazing and super inspiring. Um, She has been at the forefront for so many different communities, uh, especially for survivors of sexual violence. So I think she definitely brings that perspective, a very radical perspective. And I've definitely learned so much from her because of that. And Yeah, there's just so much to love about her. And she is like always on point. And one of the reasons that I reached out to her initially about starting the podcast was I thought, oh, my God, this woman is like so beautiful, takes bomb pictures, has great style, and she's brilliant as F, you know. So like without a doubt, she was the only person that I thought of when I wanted to start the podcast, the only person that I approached. I'm happy she said yes. Like we were really able to build something together. The friendship is real. 
we call this a millennial love story because we met online and like this is how millennials fall in love and we Mm -hmm. fell in love with each other in this way totally sort of changing course a little Mm -hmm. bit who are your personal podcast inspirations Oh my God. You want to start? Yeah. So the inspo, and I love to give them credit because they're an amazing podcast and they're a music podcast. So earlier in our workshop, we were talking about having, um, doing different types of podcasts, right? As Latinx creators, a lot of the emphasis can be on social, social justice, pop culture, but this is a podcast called Radio Menea and they're based in New York or one is based in New York and the other in DC. And they were the first podcast that I ever listened to. And they were the reason that I wanted to start a podcast because they were journalists, they were activists. And I thought, okay, these aren't people in media per se. They are writers, but they're not, you know, they don't have a degree in podcasting or radio. So that was when I realized how accessible podcasting could be and the inspo behind starting. And that's when I texted Mala. I was literally listening to an episode and thought, oh, wow, if they're podcasting, I can podcast. Mm. Yeah. There's so many great podcasts out there. You know, um, As Latinas, we're really excited to be doing this work. Black women were podcasting already and like black folks killing the podcast game early. Mm -hmm. So when we started podcasting, there were these very well established like The Read with uh, Crystal and Kid Fury, Another Round. Two Dope Queens. Two Dope Queens, right. I love, 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 love Nicole Byer. And her podcast, Why Won't You Date Me? She's hilarious. And then her podcast, Best Friends, with Sashir Zameda. Um, I think we both also love the Bodega Boys. Yeah. They're so funny. Um, I, I definitely listen to those two, the mm-hmm. Bodega Boys and Why Won't You Date Me uh, every week, for sure. Yeah. And Karina, I wanted to ask, how did this uh, relationship come to fruition? How did you find Locatora and what are the plans moving forward today? Okay, so my relationship with Locatora Radio is I'm a listener since day one, episode one. Mm-hmm. My homegirl, Carmina, shout out Carmina, like forwarded me the first episode. She's like, you should listen to this. And I was like, okay. And then I listened to the first episode. I was like, just waiting for the next <laughs> capitolo to come out. So I'm a longtime listener. Um, and this whole thing, this series, this workshop series that Creciendo Juntos is bringing to Charlottesville, um, I've been working on it for like about two years trying to get this pilot program launched. And they were honestly the first people that I thought of to try to bring out here. And so I've just been in talks with them about bringing them up out here and telling their story with our with our Latinx youth and our youth of color to hopefully inspire them to start their own own initiatives and creative projects in Charlottesville. Thanks for bringing such fantastic creators of course, to Charlottesville. So much. And hopefully there's more to come next year. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll mm-hmm. be there. Yeah. Is there anything anyone would like to add? Well, if you would like to follow our happenings and our podcast, we're on Instagram at locatora underscore radio. And if you want to listen, we're on all streaming platforms nearly. Yeah, we're on Audioboom, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. You can tune in there. My name is Mary Garner McGee. Production assistance this week by Justine Baird and Caroline Hockenbury. Our theme song is Chioga Beat by Marina Lasco and Jay Pun. This is Soundboard. Catch us at WTJU.net or podcast home at TJFM. FM.